Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur. If you need IT help, he's your man. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? That felt so good. I was just telling Denny that yesterday I got a text from my sister, who's even bigger of a Luddite than I am, (laughs) saying, hey, can you help me out with something technical? I was like, moi? (laughs) Me? Sure. (laughs) And you know what I was doing half the time I was on the phone with her? Googling. Yeah, that's here. right. Thank you. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is what an MU4 is. So, this conversion, yeah, go to file. Like, nothing was off the head. I was just pretending. But I came off. I actually helped her. It was, it was very, very nice, Daddy. Felt good. That's awesome. You that- like that all the time? Helping people with their IT problems? I love that. You know, the stock answer at SiriusXM is the same stock answer as at every other corporation across America. There's like, well, yeah, I'm just right turn- on top of that, Rose. <laughs> they're just like turn it off and turn it back on again and i'm like okay cool right, thanks right. man like the it crowd yeah yeah exactly. i love that show That's, oh so good i get into it again but anyway denny i'm yeah. trying to uh stay positive in the face of you know the world uh as many people i'm just utterly depressed and despondent about old possibly drunk men uh, you know, playing games of power with like little people's lives and things like that. Uh, I have no stomach for it, no taste for it. Uh, and I am a strictly fuck war kind of guy, Denny. So that's my that's my line and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, man, it, it, it's been a real tragedy. Um, apparently over a million people have fled the Ukraine. You know what the amazing thing, and I think that this is a super noble thing to do, and I doubt that it would happen in this country, is the amount of, they have like professional athletes and like entertainers that have been like, fuck no, we're staying, and we're going to try to make this thing right. That's that's so so great to me. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty pretty wild thing, and my only hope, and I know we've talked about this on this program before, and it's anytime I've tried to find the silver lining of social media, it's always been the idea that you can expose people to things that used to be unexposed. Yeah. And the truth of this is like if this was the 1930s, the 1940s, we would be seeing no images, we'd be seeing no video, we'd be hearing no voices. All we'd be doing is getting third, fourth, you know, level stories coming through newspapers, coming on the radio. And, uh, you know, that's the one thing about this that I hope we're running into is is I hope the algorithm saves us (laughs) in the way that, you know, there's never been a conflict where the entire world. I mean, maybe there has. And now there's the other level of this where, you know, the fact that it's white people fighting white people. But. Uh, this is one of the first times in, in human history that we basically have a chance to literally have video on the ground at all times, every time. And there's not much you can hide, which is one of the general playbooks of people in power. So maybe that'll help. Maybe this will shorten it. Uh, maybe it won't. But I'll try to be optimistic. Well, you know what segment is always optimistic, Benny? Tell me. It's this day music history. Love it. Do, 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 do. The worst segue I've ever had for this. <laughs> what do you got? All right. So I am going to go a little lighter, though, okay. luckily for you and us. <laughs> I'm, I'm even going contemporary. Wow. In 2017, the Katy Perry song, you didn't think I was going to go here, did you? <laughs> Chained to the Rhythm. Mm. It's number four on the Hot 100. Now, you may be asking, Benny, why the hell are you talking about this song, covering this? It's because it made guest vocalist Skip Marley the first of the Marleys to land a top 10. Now, this was just shocking to me, and that's the reason I brought this up. Remarkably, the highest uh, Marley to ever... Um, place in the top 100 was Bob. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe. Skip's grandfather. And he got in the chart with Roots Rock and Reggae at number 51. So that's the highest he ever got, even though Eric Clapton's version of I Shot the Sheriff went to number one. The only other Marley with a top 40 was Bob's son, Ziggy, who went 39 with Tomorrow People in 1988. So 
I mean, literally no Marley had cracked the top 50 in about 30 years. And the first to do it was Skip, who made it onto this track. Now, you know, I did my due diligence, Denny. I made myself listen to the song. Uh, it's really bad. I didn't like it at all. I thought his part was nice, and he even managed to kind of put, you know, like a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of like a political spin in his two bars that he got in the song, and and actually made it semi poignant. Um, so there it is. But skip. Respect to you. I hope you can get your own song in the top 50 sometime soon. You know, one thing I didn't realize that was still going on, Denny, is this Katy Perry video was as a big video. Yeah. A lot of money, big production. It actually kind of made the song like the, the video is tied to the song so intimately. And it's another one of those times where I'm like, get the fuck out of here, music industry. You don't have any money. <laughs> fuck you. How much did that Katy Perry video cost? You're crazy. Katy Perry, one of the few artists that I feel like maybe peaked with the debut record. Yeah, I mean, listen, I barely have an opinion. Um, <laughs> we actually played, Gaslight played the same venue as Katy Perry once, uh, the Melkveg in Amsterdam, which has a few different rooms. And the same night we were playing the little room, she was playing the big room. And we got to watch a couple songs, and it is the first time I ever realized that pop stars play to their own songs live. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking around, and I'm like, wait, I hear Katy Perry, but she's not singing. What's going on? <laughs> that was the first time I saw Behind the Veil, Denny. Behind the Veil. Well, do you want me to take you behind the veil with my This Day Music History? Please, please. On this day in 1989, Time Inc. and Warner Communications merge into Time Warner, creating the world's largest media company with Warner Music, later becoming the Warner Music Group, becoming one of the big labels. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Spotify. Um, they're one of the groups that is pretty much almost, you know, I, I can say this because I'm the, um, on the outside of it, unlike you, one, one <laughs> of the labels that's pretty much holding artists hostage. Was this the beginning of like the issues we have now with the fact that, you know, I'm going to attempt this word corporatization of uh, the music industry and most industries? I mean, was this the the first of the, the toppling blocks of these things going under like essentially one umbrella? Well, I mean, 89 to like the Clinton era is like. So for a long time, all of these Monopoly rules were in place because we didn't want to have another Vanderbilt or a Rockefeller. Mm -hmm. And then we get to like 80s and like Reagan and then like uh, the continuation un under Clinton. And they're like, you know what? Maybe people can merge again. And it was a wildfire. And that's that's really when like cable news starts, CNN starts to rise up. So a lot of stuff that kind of uh, has created the path that we've gone down started in this era. And fast forward to 2022. People like Time Warner by congressmen and laws and basically we're their puppets now. Thanks for merging. Were we ever not, though? Let's get into that. <laughs> were we ever not? No, we were just different people's puppets. That's, that's it. Now we're just their puppets. Yeah. Oh, man. I love, see, if, if you've listened to this entire podcast from the beginning to where we are now, the deterioration of my own beliefs in like this like Illuminati <laughs> thing is it's fucking true. incredible to me. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You used to be a lot more optimistic about the system a couple years ago. Yeah, I'll tell you, man. You get into your get into your mid twenties, things start to beat you down in a different way. <laughs> oh man, Benny. Well, you know who's not been beaten down? Never. She won't Ever. allow it. Ever. No, Madonna. That's it. right. Won't allow it. Um, so at the moment, the biggest role available to some young actress is one of the pop music's biggest icons. That's right, Madonna. Casting director Carmen Cuba, which, what a name. Just a Hollywood yeah. name. Carmen Cuba is running the search with uh, actresses such as Julia Garner, who uh, rose to fame in Ozark and most recently inventing Anna on Netflix, Florence Pugh, uh, along with uh, Euphoria's Alexa Denny, 
are up for the role, and they've even included some musical artists such as BB Rexa and Sky Ferreira. So, um, yeah. Sky Ferreira, the later one, was in Baby Driver and was in the Twilight Zone reboot. So, a bunch of people being considered to play Madonna. It's gonna be hard to actually capture it, but Benny, let's open it up like this. Who would you personally like to see as Madonna? Because you knew I was going to ask it this way. <laughs> of course, but here's here. So, uh, according to Madonna's standards, I can't even answer this question, and it's because the person who is going to be cast in this role has to act, has to dance, has to sing, and also has to be young Madonna, right? Because apparently, this movie is only going to 1990. That's where it's going to close. So uh, I think they need somebody really young looking because if you're going to really tell the story, you got to get back into New York, back into the clubs when she was kind of a punk rocker. I think some of the people they're looking at look the part. You know what I mean? They could easily play Madonna in that regard. But I'm reading this article and apparently uh, the, the tryouts are uh, 11 hours long of choreography really really detailed hard choreography with madonna's personal choreographer there's callbacks uh there's there's um singing requirements uh acting dancing requirements so she's putting people through the ringer and i think what's uh unique about this one is you know normally i know elton john was a producer on rocket man and sometimes I think the Marleys are going to be part of his production, but uh, often, you know, the estates try to stay close to the film to ensure quality. In this case, Madonna is the subject, the co-writer, and the director. She's the boss, <laughs> as usual. So Madonna is controlling her narrative and going to do it exactly the way she wants. She even uh, said, in quote, during an October appearance, the reason I'm doing it is because a bunch of people have tried to write movies about me, but they're always men. Um, but also, she was first uh, signed up to, to co-write this with Diablo Cody um, of uh, you know Juno fame, and somehow that, that already toppled. I think Madonna's going to be a little tough to work with on this one. She's going a little Howard Hughes on her own movie, you know? <laughs> And then she's just going to be sitting watching dailies in like her giant Beverly Hills estate. <laughs> right, like... right, right. With strings <laughs> running all across the theater. Yeah. And hand washing, hand washing stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, but as usual, uh, she sounds like she's being a pain in the ass. But it's like the reason I respect Madonna because she's a fucking boss and she won't be told by anyone how to handle her career or herself. And. She wants to. I, I've seen some pitiful attempts at making Madonna films and documentaries, some of which were actually really like problematic to me. So I want to see exactly what she comes up with. And uh, I don't know. I don't know who's going to be talented enough, though, to hold the crown. She's going to have to CGI herself and play herself with the with the rules in place. So I'm I'm gonna guess that this is a massive budget production, right? Yeah, yeah. And I feel oh, yeah. like names like Julia Garner, Florence Pugh, BB Rexa, these are people we know and we know what they look like. I think they're making the classic mistake. You kind of need to go off the grid and kind of hold mm. your own talent search, but that's incredibly hard because how many girls out there are just like Madonna waiting to be discovered? And that you have the time and the budget to discover these people. That's so right. that's super hard here. One name that I'm not sure, she, she's kind of a younger pop star in that era. A name like Sabrina Carpenter, one of those Disney Channel people that came up, uh, you know, as we saw with Pam versus Tommy, you can make anybody look like anything. Um, <laughs> so, you know, she can sing, has, has done the, the dancing, plus, um, you know, there's that whole little side beef with Olivia Rodrigo getting the last lap playing Madonna. I like it. There you go. I, I think that that, that that could be a good direction to go. Is uh, It's like making the mistake they made in Armageddon, right? Like, like are you really going to teach oil drillers to be astronauts? Or should you go ahead and teach astronauts to be oil drillers? Yeah. You know, I think in this case, you might be better off finding someone who can sing and dance first. Yeah. And we'll go to acting third. I think that's a sound sound theory. Yeah, hey, it worked for the movie Miracle. It can work for Madonna, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we have some we music this week. Just 
throt and scandal. <laughs> when is it not? I know, right? Exactly. Uh, pop star Dua Lipa was sued for copyright infringement on Tuesday by a Florida reggae band that claims a Brit British pop star stole her smash hit Levitating from a, yeah. their lesser-known 2017 track. In a lawsuit filed in Los Angeles federal court, the members of the band, Article Sound System, claim that Lipa's Levitating, which spent 68 weeks at number one on the Hot 100 charts, was ripped off from theirs, their song, Live Your Life. So, Benny, what do you make of this? I feel like we've talked about this a bunch during the time of doing this podcast, but it's hard. Well, as usual, I, I just I skipped the story and I went straight for myself. It's the reason I love doing this show, Denny, mm -hmm. is because you send me a link like this, and then all of a sudden I find myself on a YouTube channel called sued exclamation point did do a leap of steel levitating you be the judge comparison matchup to live your life i love this shit it just came out already it's a it, it's literally less than a day old and has like forty thousand views you know because people are so into this so i went ahead i didn't know this band obviously it doesn't seem like a lot of people do and listen to both tracks and you know fuck it seems like they have a case the beat's very similar. The melody is similar. There are lyrical similarities. As usual, I don't think you can necessarily just like hear this one story and be like, Dua Lipa in fucking 2017 was listening to this band and brought it to the studio and was like, I really like this track. We should steal it. Like, I don't think it happened like that. I imagine there are a million producers and co-writers on stuff like this and I don't know who brought the idea and who got it started first, but the fact that it's so similar and this track spent 68 weeks at number one and they obviously have a buttload of money, I think we're, we're going to deal with the settlement here. Uh, and I think this band will get some extra clicks and, and a little money, I hope, you know? Yeah, and probably the co-writing credit, right? So because I feel like whenever right. we've had this conversation, you know, we because like we like the blurred lines thing, you know, granted that was going like he ripped off a artist that's like already known, um, but yeah, and also with the Taylor Swift stuff as well. So yeah, like the the precedent seems to be they're gonna get a co-writing credit, a little bit of money, and they'll be on their way. Does the writing credit though? I mean, does that like assume guilt? Like, like if your if if your settlement in this case is okay, we'll give you a percentage of the writing credit. Does that assume guilt on the defendant? The guilt is less than you know this dragging out into a like a long thing. So like you take your slap on the wrist, kind of like a speeding ticket, and keep it moving. Hmm. Yeah. Even e even if you didn't like steal the song, you, you just be like, all right, cool. All right, I'm rich. Give, Let's go. Give these poor like reggae kids from florida yeah. a couple shekels yeah <laughs> uh but yeah duo will be fine she's on her first yeah. stadium tour It'll she's on okay. her stars only rising the baby on the other hand never heard from again <laughs> <laughs> remember that <laughs> i do not not a good version oh man all right one more music headline to get to and we get to talk about a little dolly parton man we got madonna dua lipa dolly parton what an episode queens, for <laughs> queens. So this week, country music singer and actor Dolly Parton announced that the launch of the Dollyverse partnered, oh. partnered with Fox Entertainment's, this is interesting, this was the most in interesting part of the story, Fox Entertainment Blockchain, uh, Blockchain Creative Labs to launch the Dollyverse. According to the announcement, Par Parton and best-selling author James Patterson will be dropping limited NFTs on Parton's new album titled Run Rose Run, NFT Collect collectibles include dolly inspired nft artwork um she's putting on a show at south by southwest coming up in a couple weeks and her and james patterson are just gonna have a conversation on, on stage that also fascinating what the heck do these two talk about outside of how much money they're printing from this <laughs> i mean there's a there, again we talked about this as snoop last week i think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg on you know, how labels and these companies and these artists are going to start packaging materials and start releasing materials. Something really stood out about this story to me, okay? And it was a quote, the foray into the metaverse will not be the first. In 2020, K-pop phenomenon, BTS held a virtual concert 
Bang Bang Con, the live, <laughs> which reportedly drew 756,000 global viewers. The event raked in $20 million. So, whereas I didn't get it, now I get it. Okay? Like, what's the biggest stadium in the world? You know, I don't even know what it is. The biggest ones in America are what? The NASCAR stadiums that hold. Yeah. 120, 150,000 people, college football stadiums that hold 100,000 people. If you could sell out that stadium, I mean, you're one of the biggest fucking artists ever. It's huge. It's great. But the idea that you could like literally perform to almost a million people, and this isn't just like, hey, we're live streaming. This is we're buying a ticket to the show. We're getting an NFT token to say we were at this show. It's starting to make a little more sense, at least as far as uh, giving people a sense of territory, a sense of newness, that it's not just this like wandering metaverse that you don't know what's going on. You're actually technically there. You have proof that you were there. The concert is for your eyes only. It's not for people who aren't engaging in the same thing you are. So even though you're watching it virtually, it's getting closer to the real thing and i'm starting to understand this a little bit more maybe yeah and i mean i i think if like covid has taught us anything if people can stay home and still rake in the money they're going to try to do it but the question i have on the hand of the consumer so if say you're going to all of these like dollyverse metaverse concerts right you're not actually leaving your house right and this has nothing to do with like the finances of it but like I feel like this is going to create some pretty crazy mental health issues. If people feel like they're being social, but they're not leaving their house, you're not actually being social. How about this? What is it? Is it going to be more like eventually, though, like uh, like pay-per-view where, you know, like certain people could pay for pay-per-view. And, you know, it's not like every house was spending a hundred something dollars to see Mike Tyson. One was they were hosting a party. And then you'd all go see Mike Tyson fight. Maybe this is what these are going to turn into. Like one house buys the NFT. You project it on a fucking screen in your home to like, maybe it's a party starter. Uh, so I, I don't know. But you're right. I mean, that is the concern always with this stuff is that we're slowly turning into weeble wobbles hmm. who are just going to be in those like the movie Wally, you know, <laughs> like we're going to just be them soon. And this is another step in that direction. If you can. But, I, you know, this thought just came to me. Yeah. And, and it is a, a real thought. Is like, do we overblow this in the idea that, like, it's not human nature to sit in one spot for 24 hours a day. There is, like, an actual physical need to move your body. It's like an instinctual thing so you don't die. Some people have to or else they, like, you know, lose their goddamn minds. <laughs> so, you know, I'd like to give human beings more credit than the idea that like these really shiny objects in the metaverse are actually going to turn us into like blobular, you know, uh, semiconductors to, to the <laughs> other side. Like, I'd like to give us a little more credit than that. That and, and the other thing that I'm scared of with this whole metaverse because with this one it's interesting the corporations are running it normally when evolution happens it's like somebody else comes up with it and corporations have to catch up this is corporate from the ground level so you know and anytime we've seen at home entertainment and and this is essentially trying to bring the concert into your home look at the start of vhs at first it was a hundred dollars a pop and right. nobody was really messing with it then blockbuster happens things go go way down Reve right. uh, concert revenue stream is one of the few things that artists can still bank on if that starts at wherever these these metaverse concerts start and then goes down from there i don't know it's a super slippery slope who's going to be the first artist because of many reasons like because of uh oh i'm stuck at home because of a political situation i'm stuck at home because of a medical situation, who's going to be the first artist to do a metaverse tour where they stay home Ooh. and then they project to an arena full of people with lights, with the whole deal, with the show, but they're not even there. Might happen. 
It's going to be Elton because, you know, he's he's already trying to retire. He just did his last show in, in New right. Jersey. He's going to be like, oh, I can still rake in all. No, 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 no. Not, not Elton because Elton's still getting out there. The one artist that stays in one place and people come to him, it's going to be Billy Joel. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> he would be the first. He is the first one to break down the Russian wall. So There we go. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, moving on a little bit. Uh, we're gonna gently blend into keeping sports talk sexy because we're gonna talk about a lockout. Nothing gets sexy. people going more so than sexy. that. Um, but Major League Baseball has canceled opening day. That's right, Commissioner Rob Manfred or Manfraud, as some people are going out here, announced on Tuesday that he will scrap regular season games over a labor dispute for the first time in 27 years. Uh, this happened just hours before management deadline. So there's there's a lot of give and take here. You got to the 11th hour. Major League Baseball presented their best and final offer. The players were like, no way. So, Benny, I'm going to ask you to put your legal hat on here for a second. Who's to blame here? See, here, here's here's where, I, I, you know me. Yeah. I, I always, always will blame the tenants of power because they are almost off to blame and control the narrative that we are going to spin for them. I do think that's the case again, but I'm going to speak from a fan's perspective this time, okay? Because I'm not a labor disputer. I, I don't really begin to understand. I get the basic premises of what they're talking about. You know what I mean? I get these dollars, but how they affect each owner how they affect each player the big market teams to the small market teams and the numbers and the way it works i don't know you know what i know is that if you ruin 162 games the season is already partially fucking ruined mm. and as a fan that's the way i feel about it the framework to baseball nerds right is 162 games this is how it goes we need this set number to be able to make these determinations that are the funnest things to do in baseball. You know, the funnest thing to do in baseball <laughs> is to dig into these fucking detailed, weird stats, you know, like trending through the season. Can he break this? Can he break this? There's a million different things to break. You can always find a record to be broken out there. <laughs> but once you break that model of 162 games, it's fucked. It's fucked forever. You're in asterisk land. And the one thing, you know, uh, it gives more confusion to careers, to Hall of Fame arcs, to, to stats in general, which is already a big problem. You know, we already have a problematic, confusing sort of system there, and then you're adding to it. And the thing is that owners just don't care about shit like that. They don't see it. That disassociation is very real. Like, Am I to believe that all 32 owners of every team in baseball are the same types of people like me who scrapped over stats in the New York Times stat sheet and did my own rankings and weird shit like that meant a lot to me? You know what I mean? It did. It's like important for whatever fucking reason because you grow up with it. So when they start making these little decisions like, oh, fuck you, power play, two series are off, 90 games, whatever. We'll still get 156 games of, of box office. We'll still do that. They already ruined it, and they don't even fucking realize. And that is what, to me, is like the biggest problem in disassociation. And then, again, we have the classic, uh, it's that they're using the NFL trick. They're using the Roger Goodall <laughs> trick, right? They're sending this fucking patsy out there to, to do their bidding. There's a reason we all hate Roger Goodall so much, because... He's been put out there like a pinata to, to do the bidding for these fucking uber rich people so many times now that we fucking hate his guts. <laughs> now, Rob Manfred's doing the exact same thing. He's being smart because his employees are 32 billionaire owners, not us. And he's doing what they're asking him to do, which is, uh, buddy, can you please go out there for us and take the shells so we can keep this narrative about the players being greedy? So, I, uh, I'm, I'm very much in favor of getting this done. It seems like the numbers that uh, are stopping this from getting done are like literally, you know, um, 
the amount like a middle infielder costs for the fucking Yankees. Like it's getting to that point. Attendance is down. Ratings are down. Interest in the game is down. You know, they're competing with, with, you know, not only the other sports, but the packaging of sports that they're way behind on. So I think this is uh, fairly devastating to baseball. And as a fan, I'm very upset about it. That being said, and I was talking to this, to, to one of my dad friends at jujitsu last <laughs> night, you know, I'm going to say all this shit, but once the Yankees are playing for a few weeks, I'm going to be the asshole tuning into it. So, you know, you know, I saw something the other day in regards to baseball and where it is on the national landscape. Right. Yeah. We, I think we can all agree that Mike Trout is probably the face of baseball right now on sure. Instagram. 1.9 million followers, which is oh, a good number. Okay. Not a lot for a guy like that. What's LeBron have? Well, before we even get to LeBron, you know who has even more at 2.3 million? Oh. Tyler Hero. And he's not <laughs> even a starter. Tyler Hero. <laughs> Tyler Hero is more than Mike Trout. Yeah. Oh, that is a good stat. That so, is a good stat. And so indicative. Yeah, you know? so baseball needs... Listen, opening day, there as a casual fan that's not really super into it, love opening day, love the all-star break, and you know, those like midsummer games that, that you can go to and sink in, sink your teeth into. Baseball needs opening day. And yeah, granted, right. oh, I get it, it's a like opening day will be whenever opening day happens, but it's not the same as when it's like, oh, beginning of, of April and you roll in and the start of all that. So I a hundred percent agree with you with the 162 things. Uh, with the 162 games and like the history of the sport, they've kind of been in no man's land with stats for a little bit with like the steroid era and stuff like that. But the 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 bone of contention, the one of the main bone of contentions I read is like the the vet minimum number. I think the current number is 650, and they want it to be uh, 725, just so that you know. I mean, at that point, for for billionaires, that's like that's it's like pennies. It's fucking circus yeah. peanuts, and that that's what. That's what's so frustrating from it. I mean, when you're trying to relate, like there's literally like people dying around the world and you're trying to relate a story to normal people about billionaires losing an extra $50,000. Nobody cares, man. Yeah. Come on. Like you just got to be smart. You got to understand the optics here and they're, they're fucking that all up. And, you know, I, I, what, like, what do you think happens from here? What, what's the, what's the timeline? What, what's, what's going on? First and foremost, we hear in the next couple of weeks that Bryce Harper is playing for the Yamahori Giants, which they're all psyched about that. You know, a little Japanese baseball cake, Cabo again. Oh, uh, we need Bryce Harper in the Korean league. Oh, so we yeah. can <laughs> do some flipping. <laughs> but the thing that I love though about the players is that they're not backing down. He, you know, I've seen a lot with like. WNBA and like NBA players when it comes to uh, the collective bargaining agreement and even on like the soccer front that's even worse that's mainly where I've seen it with like the NWSL and, and MLS people um, they're not backing down and, and they know the power that, that that they have so the baseball players have the opportunity to negotiate well and in good faith I mean how much of this element and, and I'll just throw this into the mix here yeah. you know Tony Clark, Union Head I believe he's the first ex-player to ever be a union head. I believe in the last negotiations, he kind of famously got fucking taken to town mm -hmm. a little bit and they got whatever they wanted. You know, like how much of this is the, the owners thinking that they can bully someone who's not particularly a businessman, a uh, person of color, you know, in, in a seat like that, like, is is there a, a cultural element to this in play? I'm sure that there is. Like, like I'm sure anytime you take somebody who negotiates for a living based up next to somebody who has agents literally do that for them, it's not going to be a pretty fight. <laughs> yeah, right. We needed, uh, we needed uh, what's his face? Who's the NBA player who signs his own contract? What was that? You got Dinwiddie, right? With, with, yeah, with... Dinwiddie does it. Yeah, yeah. Like, we need, we need these guys who... Who take away the percentages? Smart, smart, smart. All right, all right. Let's go to Dinwiddie Town. Let, now, huh? Let's talk about percentages, man. Uh, and I, I have one percentage for you. 
and the percentage is 100%, and that's 100% back. Brooklyn Nets star Kevin Durant played Thursday against the Heat. Uh, the Nets, uh, a, a mixed bag of late, you know, when they had Kyrie against the Bucks, um, he popped off for 38 points on 14 and 26 shooting. However, after that, they, they, they fell to the Celtics and the Raptors, so they need consistency. I think Kevin Durant will bring that to them. Um, so KD, back it, back at it. What do you think? I mean, I think it, it couldn't have come at a better time if you're actually trying to save this season in particular, because you know, uh, as opposed to a couple weeks ago where the Nets were sort of in a semi-locked-in position, you know, they're three and seven over their last ten, and now they're only uh, you know two games away from being knocked out of the entire thing. Um, right now, they're in the eight seed in the play-in tournament. Toronto's a few games ahead for the seven seed. But the Hornets are a game and a half behind them. The Hawks are two games behind them. The Wizards are three games behind them. They're going to see most of these teams going forward. So it begs the question of what we were talking about in the last couple weeks. I think the next two weeks, I think, really is going to determine how the Nets approach the rest of the regular season. And that includes Ben Simmons. I think if they can actually see themselves realistically cracking this top six, they do have a soft schedule for the rest of the uh, rest of the schedule going ahead, then I think you start to see maybe a little more aggression of trying to get Kyrie in the mix, trying to get maybe Ben Simmons on the court, kind of you know seeing if Joe Harris is ready to play, trying to make a playoff run. If you go the next few weeks and they wind up 500 and they're still kind of in this spot, do you aggressively play Kyrie Irving? Do you try to get Ben Simmons on the floor? I don't know. So uh, they a lot is to be determined in the next couple of weeks, but I think something fun is about to happen, which seems to happen every time, though. You know what that is? What's that? Everybody forgets how fucking good Kevin Durant is every time he's hurt. <laughs> every time. Everyone's like, oh, is he going to help the team? Yeah, he's going to fucking help the team. And all of a sudden, every one of these sub-500 teams that they've been struggling against for the last six weeks are all of a sudden, you know, uh, is a scoop of chocolate, scoop of vanilla. You're seeing way less Blake Griffin time, way less James Johnson time. A lot of these guys that, you know, at this point, I would like to see this rotation being shorter and a little more compact and not so many random minutes getting tossed around the nets. So uh, I think it's going to be very interesting. Uh, the one thing I'm sure about in regards to the nets is you are not seeing Ben Simmons March 10th. Uh, and and I'm, I'm I'm doubtful. I don't know if you're going to see Ben Simmons this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that either. But here's the thing, Benny, right? Like, I think as people make a big, too big a deal about being in the play-in tournament, to be honest with you. Because let me guess, like, you'd have to play at this point. Like, you'd probably have to play, like, Charlotte if the season en- ended today and you, you'd be in, in the play-in tournament. That's right. One game, come on, that's not even fair. And and so then you're on to a series against probably Miami, right? I'd say if if the season mm-hmm. a- ended today yeah. with with that team together, that's that's so beneficial for the Nets because you know at, at that point I'm sure Kyrie will be able to play all the games. And oh man, I I'm. I'm projecting this out. I love what I'm seeing. I, I, I love the fact that the Nets are going to be in the play-in tournament, then get the heat, knock the heat out in the first round. Thank you so much for putting the culture away. Well, I mean, let's not just sit the heat in number one yet. <laughs> I mean, this isn't like a sun situation. In the East, there's only three games separating the top four teams, yeah. one of which is Philly, who's cruising, uh, one of which is Milwaukee, who I think is on the uh, – other end of their playoff ramp up, which is about to happen. So um, I actually, I don't think Miami's going to be in that number one seed in, in a few weeks. Mm, okay. Okay. Love that. And, and we'll get to the heat in a little bit. Um, let's, let's move to Philly. We've talked a bunch about them in the first three games with James Harden. The Sixers are outscoring opponents by 20 points per hundred possessions with a ridiculous offensive rating of 125.3. 
Uh, Harden and Joel have each scored at least 25 points in all the three games together so far. Maxi has really adapted well to this group, and that's been really fun, fun to see. Philadelphia is, is an interesting team, but I feel like you have the right to question Doc in the playoffs and what this team is going to look like in the playoffs because none of the guys in question right now have gotten it done recently in the playoffs whatsoever. I mean, I, I won't say that for Joel Embiid. Like, he's had some pretty pretty monster playoff performances, and I, and I certainly wouldn't put that last one on him. Uh, it was really only a couple years ago. We forgot about that. But I got to say, okay. Yeah. I, I've always been kind of like, uh, you know me. I'm an anti-Philly guy. <laughs> but it's it's mostly reserved for the Eagles, you know? It yeah. really is. And for the most part, because of the lack of a rivalry between the Sixers and the Nets, you know, loving guys like Allen Iverson over the years. Even I love Joel Embiid. You know, he's one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA, one of my favorite characters in the NBA. I've always had kind of like this, you know, a little bit of a mutual respect for Philly. I find myself now in the last few days vehemently rooting against Philly. (laughs) I am like anti-Sixers, anti-Harden, hoping they lose i was the biggest knicks fan the last couple nights i'm not usually a knicks fan i hate watching julius randall play basketball and i'm like go get him julius come on body in there get those giant shoulders within 10 feet of the paint again and just do some weird flop (laughs) jump shot move that you do um so i gotta say i am invested truly invested in the fact that the 76ers lose now and I like this. I think it's like a fun part of it. And I think if the Nets start playing well, the 76ers fans are going to feel the exact same way. Uh, when Ben Simmons starts playing, I think they're going to feel the exact same way. So take aside, you know, Philly's performance on the court. This, the Philly-New York basketball rivalry is like kind of finally here. I feel it. I feel it in my net's bones. Like there's something going here and it might be here for a couple years. Now let's go to the basketball side. That being said, I've been watching them very closely. They're really fucking good. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, apparently James Harden's hamstring, you know, he rubbed a uh, magical ointment on and then it's feeling fine. Now he looks spry. He's one of these fucking guys who can like transform his entire body in like two weeks. I don't know what this guy does, but he really seems to get sad and maybe like eat and drink too much or something and then like get it together really fast because I've been watching the Nets all year. He has had a true like physical reformation in like two weeks and it's really sort of miraculous to watch. Um, and then watching the two play together uh, is a lot of fun. I, I got to admit. I mean, it's, you know, they're not running too many pick and rolls. They're not like locked into one style of playing. They can both do so many different things on the court. They seem comfortable off the bat. It's opening up all sorts of lanes for Maxi. Um, I think they became a lot of fun really fast and, and an absolutely uh, dynamic offense. Um, I do wonder, you know, here's the thing is they've played three games, one against Minnesota, who's kind of like famously sloppy, two against the Knicks who are, you know, on, on a tailspin and you don't know what the Knicks are for the rest of the season. So they haven't had a win to me. That means anything either. And the next four games, they have the Cavs on Friday, the heat on Saturday, the bulls the following Monday. And as I said, the nets on the 10th. So talk to me after these four games, if they can last through those teams, if they can go three and one in that schedule, Philly's a fucking team that we all got to worry for about the playoffs I think the same questions persist. Uh, There's a couple holes on defense sometimes, but, you know, watching Thibel run around like a fucking free safety out there (laughs) helps a lot. And then uh, I do worry, you know, once they play some more demanding teams, what this bench is going to look like. I don't like that they have nobody backing up in bead, you know, besides for cork mons. I'm not liking somebody coming off the bench and scoring a ton. So the jury's out, but... I have to admit, it's very exciting for a Philly fan. How would you feel about, you know, there's been reports of DeAndre Jordan backing up Embiid. How do you feel about this? Bring him in. <laughs> this, is where, this is where I'm like, yo, I'm like, I, I feel like I'm watching Philly 
just make the same exact mistakes like we made a couple years ago. And in a way, I'm kind of like laughing, twirling my mustache because I'm like, hey, guys, have fun with this now. Like, enjoy your little run to the playoffs right now. You better fucking win because this isn't going to go well soon, okay? Yeah, man. Whenever you, you try to, like, mix up the entire team chemistry from February, the trade deadline on, I've said this before, it doesn't typically tend to bode well for playoff success. We'll see if they're the outliers. But, you know, that's why I asked a question about, like, playoff success because it's like like this is the time of year when – Teams start start to ramp up. You try try to build that uh, chemistry and stuff like that. Uh, the good news is Sixers tight knit group outside. Like I feel like the Ben Simmons thing kind of brought them together. So those guys are all, all together. Um, it really comes down to if James Harden wants to buy in or continue to be the, the lone wolf. So um, early returns show favorable, but I think in that stretch that you mentioned, I think they go two and two. I think that they're they're tested. I, I think I think a team like the Cavs they can be um maybe drop the games to miami and the nets boy that'd be something that'd be something if, if, if you know the what nets i, I would, get that let's let's let jared allen turn into the joel Embiid killer that'd be fun <laughs> that'd be fun i mean the one promising thing to you for the sixers you know leading score in these three games since they've been here is Embiid with 34 Embiid with 37 Embiid with 27 so you know the one thing that people were worried about prior to the trade was, hey, this is Joel's like, I'm going for an MVP year. I'm going for a scoring title year. And it doesn't seem like the uh, the appearance of Harden is going to get in the way of that. So I think Joel is going to be uh, happy as a clam uh, for the rest of the season. Let's move down to South Beach and the aforementioned Miami Heat who dropped the t- oh, real tough one. Gotta hate when Drew Holiday stings you, right? Um, not that I'm happy about this at all because it makes oh, my no. Sunday job any easier when the Heat are kind of down a little bit. But uh, prior to that, they, uh, they they won three games in a row after the break. They beat the Knicks, the Spurs, and the Bulls. The Bull, the one against the Bulls was a big one. Um, Kyle Lowry missed the final two games uh, of, of that stretch for personal reasons. The Heat still lead the Eastern Conference. Um, Tyler Hero led the way this week, averaging 25 and a half, which is crazy. The, the streakiness of Tyler Hero is something we're going to have to talk about at some point. And on the opposite end of that, the the disappearance of Duncan Robinson since the bubble doesn't get talked about enough. Anyway, Benny, after that game against the Bucks, that saw them blow a massive lead on the road, are the Heat for real? I mean, they're definitely for real. And I think, you know, if Kyle Lowry's in that game last night, you know, that that might have turned out a different way. He's, he's a big piece of that team right now. So um, I do think they're for real. Uh, you know, my biggest concern with the Heat is this this sort of, uh, you know, ground and pound kind of team and this style they're going to run. And the reason I don't think they may not finish uh, first in the standings in the East is like, if you're going to try and run a team like this through the playoffs with a bunch of guys who can't seemingly be able to get through the playoffs often, you know, like, like does Jimmy Butler get four whole series? Does Kyle Lowry get four whole series? You're banking on, you know, uh, some guys like PJ Tucker for real heavy minutes. Uh, you know, Adebayo has already hurt this season. So, my concern with the Heat isn't as much in their play and playing style, but no, I'm sorry, not their play. Their playing style is what I'm concerned yeah. with. The fact that can they maintain this sort of brute physical game going through the playoffs, especially when you start to run up against other teams? Like, you can't knock Giannis around, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a possible thing. There's no one who can do it. So, if you want to try that method with Giannis over a seven-game series, nah, I don't know that's going to go so well. So I do think Miami's for real. I think Hero's great. I think the Duncan Robinson thing is pretty overblown. The guy's never really like, you know, he might have outplayed himself a little bit, but he's still, uh, I think, one of the best shooters in the league. He's getting up towards 38% on the threes. It's like starting to come back to the mean and, and more importantly, everyone still respects him as a big-time shooter. And that's the most important thing for Duncan Robinson is, like, 
he needs to have people trailing him around the floor at 30 feet and become an honest, you know, as long as he's an honest enough three-point shooter to keep that going, then he's serving his role with the Heat, you know? Also, reports circulating um, inside and outside of, of the facility. Potential return of Victor Oladipo maybe before the playoffs. So that would add a whole other element to the Heat. Yeah, I mean, well, that that would really help. And I think part of it and one of the reasons I get concerned about that team is like, you know, Jimmy Butler sometimes can't just take people one-on-one. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, so if you just need a basket out of nowhere, broken defense, or excuse me, broken offense, like who are you going to besides for hero? Yeah. Like that's the only guy really you're just tossing the ball to and being like, hey, get us a bucket, you know? Yeah. So that could be a problem, and then Oladipo could help with that. So if the season ended today, which one of these teams that we talked about do you like most to make a run going to the conference final or the NBA final? I, I Well, you know, I, I don't know about that, but I, I, think we're, I think we're watching the Bucks round into what they're supposed to be. Um, you know, any idea about Brook Lopez? He's been back practicing. Yeah, like he's you know, kicking around, right? Yeah. So. You know, I really do think the Bucks had a uh, a crazy run last year. I think they started slow. They had some injuries. I think they've stayed towards the middle of the pack, and now they find themselves a couple games back. And I think uh, this is the time when they're gonna they're gonna you know put the pedal to the metal and and finish it out here. See, I want to be sold like you are, but. I just don't think when you get to the playoffs, you're going to get 20 to 30 a night from Bobby Portis. Like, I just don't think, like, that's, that's like, like we talked about with Duncan, like, the mean. Yeah. He's way above that. And it's true. But I got, you know, the thing with the Bucs, it comes down to a simple thing in basketball, right? Mm-hmm. The Bucs now roster one of basketball's unstoppable forces. Yeah. And, like, so much of basketball comes down to that. Like, if Giannis is healthy and feels like imposing his will, they can win anytime yeah. they want simply because of that, you know? And, and when there's no one else in the East that I can say that for right now with, yeah. with Durant being a little less healthy. So, you know, I put my money in the NBA with things like that with the most singularly dominant player in the conference, you know? It's my favorite saying once the playoffs come around, the team with the best player in a series normally wins. Normally wins. Unless their foot's on the line. Then that's a whole other (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneup podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. You can follow us on all the social platforms at the tuneup HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz one, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Spread love, baby. Spread love. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.